Well, it seemed like uh, Bruce had a bit of a message this morning in his announcements to us. And uh, Justin did as well during the scripture reading. So I guess it's my turn, all right? Not last but not least, right, kind of thing. Uh, If you would, turn with me to Hebrews 9. And we're still in the book of Hebrews. Uh, We will be for one more week, all right? So we've got this week and then next week. And then uh, the, the lectionary readings will transition us to the book of Revelation for our epistle reading, all right? So notice these words here as found, and this is our um, epistle reading for the day, and we'll just read it here. And our series, by the way, is called Let's Start With Jesus, because quite frankly, the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus. (laughs) And to even be um, less subtle, the whole Old Testament, the book of Hebrews says, is about Jesus. And of course, the New Testament is, well, you guessed it, about Jesus, right? So... The entire Bible, both Old and New Testament, are Christocentric. That is to say, they are Christ-centered right there in the middle, splitting the two Testaments and also splitting time itself. And this scripture here speaks to that. Notice these words, and we'll start reading here in chapter 9 of Hebrews, uh, verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Jesus, help us now as we hear your word proclaimed. May your Holy Spirit, who inspired this pastor in Hebrews to write this sermon for us today, would you now speak to us, save us, heal us, confront us, and Lord, (laughs) sanctify us so that we can have a heart that is wholly devoted to you, we pray in your name. Amen. You know, uh, I am always interested in religion generally, right? I actually teach a class called History of World Religions, right? And now I've taught one called Comparative Religion, which was for me. And so had to tweak things a little bit. And and I like that whole talk. And one thing that has bothered me over, I don't know, the past 10 years or so that I've, uh, really 13 years that I've been teaching it, but probably about 10 years I started noticing this, is that everybody seemingly in evangelical Christianity, which is a broad swath of things, we could maybe say American Christianity even, uh, they say this saying. You've probably heard it before, maybe you've said it before. I know I have. And it's this. Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Now, good, you didn't just say amen, because then, you know, you're like, man, is he using that positively or negatively? I'm just going to be quiet on this one until I know, right? Good, good call. Um, Good student here. (laughs) Uh, Here's what I would 
like to offer today is that maybe Christianity is a religious relationship. Because I think what we end up doing is acting like we're not religious creatures. That somehow this relationship with God is all on our shoulders in some sort of individualistic way. That we're in charge of our salvation. That if we turn to God, he'll do what we say. I don't think the writer of Hebrews has that sort of understanding. In fact, I don't think the book of Leviticus, which is bleeding all over every page of Hebrews, has that sort of idea of the living, all-consuming fire of God. And here is what has uh, prompted that thinking recently in me again. And uh, please don't be offended by this. (laughs) But many are finding their self today (laughs) trying to prove that they're religious. Because they want a religious exemption. Uh, Now I'll keep it at that. Um, But they want a religious exemption. So now they're saying, okay, well if my work will allow that, then I will... I will get a religious exemption. And my religion, of course, is just me and God. So, therefore, if I put my name on this paper, that'll be good enough. And what we're seeing is that employers are saying, uh, no, thank you. You don't seem religious to me. And so it's interesting that um, I looked into this because uh, I actually have been asked to write a couple of these, um, these uh, religious exemptions. And so I looked into uh, and contacted a couple of friends of mine and all this and and, uh, and in my looking, there's, there's actually the Supreme Court uh, and, and really the Third Circuit uh, of Appeals has used this definition of religion that I want to kind of jumpstart things with you. Uh, they said this, this is a modern definition of religion. It's not bad. It really isn't. Because um, I give my students a definition of religion too, and it's not far from this one. So I was like, ah, oh, look, somebody's teaching pretty well. Like maybe, maybe I could be on the Supreme Court or something, you know. Um, but here it is. First... A religion addresses fundamental and ultimate questions having to do with deep and imponderable matters. That's pretty good. Um, Translation, it has to do with the biggest questions of humanity. Questions of origins and meaning and our future. That is to say, questions like this. Questions like this that can't be answered by science, by the way, or any of the sciences, not just, not just um, scientific research, but I mean sociology, psychology, none of them. None of the so- social sciences can answer this either. And that is, where did we come from? Where did I come from, right? And you can't just back it up to your mom and dad, okay? It goes beyond that, doesn't it? All right, where do we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? Let me just tell you, these questions have bugged humanity from the very beginning. In other words, as far back as we can go, these are the questions that the religions, the pagan religions, monotheistic religions are trying to answer. Because these are deep, meaningful, essential, fundamental questions of our life. And let's go to the doctor to figure them out, right? like what is my purpose in life well just go get your blood drawn you know they can tell you it's in your dna after all isn't it no of course not we'd think that was ridiculous right and no one's been able to test anything the can't recreate what was in the 
juxtaposition of the Big Bang or some sort of long extended uh, evolutionary process, no one can create that again to tell us if that's true or not. So therefore, we're left with religious questions. All right, so that's the first thing. Religion deals with these big questions. By the way, the Bible answers all these questions. And Jesus is at the heart of every one of them, isn't he? Just think through them one more time. Where do we come from? (laughs) Well, the scripture tells us that Christ was in the beginning with God, wasn't he? Creating. And that all things, particularly humans, are created after his image and in his likeness to be conformed to him. What is the purpose of life? To love God and to love others as yourself. And where are we going? Well, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the A and the Z. We're going to him. When you close your eyes in death, you will be judged by him. Nothing else matters three seconds after you're dead but Christ and what you did with him. And how you answer these questions. All right, so first thing. Second thing they said is this. Third circuit of appeals. Court of appeals. Uh, Second, a religion is comprehensive in nature. This is a good one. It consists of a belief system as opposed to an isolated teaching. Just did a work on that camera back there, I'm sure. It tries to follow me, you know. Well, here's the thing. It's saying this. You can't just say all of a sudden, this part of my life is religious. And this isn't. I'm secular here. But everything else, or or this one thing is religious though. No, no, no. It's saying, no, no. If If you're religious, that means you have an entire framework. Which is what we talk about dogma, doctrine. It's why theology matters. It's because this one belief of our... Of ours, for instance, human sexuality is not just an isolated belief that we want to pick on or do that. No, it's part of an entire framework, friend, that starts in the garden and finds its way all through the scriptures, all through the scriptures. Finally, in Christ Himself, and also will be judged based on His design and order. Not our own, not our own thoughts, not what we voted. No, no, it's not just isolated. Seeing the whole thing as a framework, a matrix, one could say. All right, the third definition, part of the definition is this. Third, a religion often can be recognized by the presence of certain formal and external signs. Ergo, is what they say in here. They like to use words like that, right? Ergo, services, ceremonies, holidays, proselytizing, and clergy. Oh, so at least I made it in there, right? Like my job means something all of a sudden to the courts. What does your job mean? Is your job an essential job? I'm just kidding, right? Yeah, clergy, items, candles, bread, table, pulpit, lectern. Right? Signs of our faith. What, what is the Third Circuit of Court of Appeals saying? They're saying that religion, which is faith, which is unseen, needs to be seen. Which is really what the Bible says, isn't it? Can anyone read the Old Testament and really think that our faith is only lodged in our head? No. No. The body is constantly being ushered here for this appointed time, not that time, 
Not whenever you decided to come to the temple. No, this time. Which is why in church life we make a big deal about Advent. Yeah, it only comes around once a year. We're going to celebrate this thing like it's the last one. Because it might as well be. 2021's Advent will never happen again. And maybe 2022's will. If God spares his return. (laughs) My point is this. We got a whole slew of people out there wanting religious exemptions that really aren't religious. They're just doing faith in their head. By their self. And friend, even by the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, that doesn't cut it. So, we come to that question that I've thought about a lot. And that was, if my life was on, um, was being judged, would people around me, not me proving it, (laughs) people around me that know me at the gas station that I use regularly, or the place that I eat that Jessica and I like to go, or if you were to come to my neighborhood and ask a neighbor, what are those people? What do they follow? What do they believe? What's their religion? Would I have enough evidence in my life to accuse me of being a Christian? Oh God, I hope so. I hope so. Which brings me to the next point is that my hunch is that Jesus is probably the most religious person to ever walk the face of the earth. So if we're going to discount religion, we must discount his life. And I don't think any of us want to do that, do we? No, we're told that when the festival of Passover came around, guess where he was? He wasn't off watching the ball game. No, he wasn't on vacation. No, this came around once a year. You don't want to miss the Day of Atonement. And it wasn't his first time that he came when we're told he came the last time. which is to be the sacrifice, as the writer of Hebrews will say, for us. He became the atoning day himself. You know, you can go to where he's sitting in the synagogue, remember, and he take that the, it says the attendant handed him the scroll, all right? Now, this was the liturgical scroll, that is to say, the lectionary, truly. It, they had planned readings, right? They, he hands it to him, here you go, sir, because he's a rabbi, right? And that's what you do at a synagogue is you, you read the scriptures and then you teach on them, right? So he reads the scripture and it happened to be about himself that day, right? Remember? <laughs> he said, today this is fulfilled. It just happened to be on that day. But what was he doing? He was doing a religious work. Now, now we use this term religion and again, I'm not vouching for you to just call yourself religious. That's, that's not the point. I hope if that's the point, you're missing it. Because you can have perfect religion without any power of the Holy Spirit in you. And the Bible says it's dead. It's dead. Worthless. Think of the Pharisees. Think of the scribes. Right? No, no. That's not the point here. The point is, religion, we use it already in our normal language to mean kind of what it actually means. And that is, we'll, we'll say, boy... He watches Alabama football religiously. She is devoted to shopping online, you know, whatever it is, I don't know. 
Um, my kids religiously are on there. What do we mean by that? We, we mean that they have devoted themselves to it. That, so the term comes from, religion comes from a Latin word meaning religare, right? So that means at base to devote or to bind. So religion means to bind or to devote, which is what you're doing, right? When you're like, I do this every day, right? Like, so I can say, truthfully, I eat religiously. I make sure I never miss a meal, right? That's something religious in my life. Uh, in some kind of funny sort of way, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's devoting. Let me ask you, have you devoted yourself to Christ? You say, of course, I believe he died for me, rose again, all that. Not just believe in your head. Like, have you devoted your body to Christ? Do you bring your body to worship and present your body as a living sacrifice? Every day do you wake up and roll your body out of bed and say, Body, we're serving Christ today because we're devoted to Him. We should not discount our body. Our faith surely doesn't. It's why, here in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask you that are baptized, who have received the mark of baptism of water, something that we have to have to survive, I'm going to ask you to do what I'm about to do right here, and that is remember your baptism and be thankful. I'm placing it on my body. Why does the Old Testament have you doing a bunch of stuff with your body? Have you ever read Leviticus? You know, how, I mean, it's talking about things that are coming out of your body, things that are going into your body. You see the point? It matters, doesn't it? It matters what we addict our bodies to. It matters what we expose them to. It matters what we put in them. And I'm not some health nut, for sure. But the point is, it matters, doesn't it? Yeah, we've got this temple of the Lord that he's given to us. And that's why soon, once we do that, or, well, I guess we do that at the end now for sanitary purposes, but you get the idea. And before we do that then, we're going to take bread. And then we're going to drink. We're going to eat and we're going to drink. Something we do every single day. But we're going to do it as unto the Lord. Devoting ourselves to him. All right. So, can anyone read Hebrews <laughs> and say that Christianity is not religious? I mean, after all, the main image we've been working with is what? Not king, primarily, or even prophet, even though both are present. But rather, as Bruce preached last week, high priest. Like, I don't think you can get a more religious job than a priest. It's like, what do you do? I'm a priest. It's pretty clear. It's in the religious category. I don't think anybody would mistake it for a barber or... A butcher. No, it's very religious and religious language. This is why in the book of Hebrews, there's all these images that we're not familiar with. Because we haven't read the Old Testament or we don't understand it. I'm including myself. Hebrews has been a very difficult book. Uh, I won't speak for Bruce, but for me to study because it is incorporating all of the Old Testament saying, yeah, all of that was a copy of the reality. Now follow that. A pale copy, but a copy nonetheless. Isn't that what this is? He has given us a sign. Baptism is a sign that we are his. 
and it is a grace of God. So at one time, it's a visible sign that I can still feel on my head right now. And it's an invisible grace that's communicated. That takes faith to believe. It's interesting, again, in John 6, remember we spent so long in John 6 talking about the bread of life. Jesus doubles down, doesn't he, on you must eat and drink my flesh and my blood. Well, that has to be done literally and spiritually. Which is kind of our definition of what a sacrament is, after all. It's a visible sign of an invisible grace. And that is to say, brothers and sisters, that you don't just get the grace of God however you choose. No. He says, I communicate it this way. When you gather together, that's when I'm going to be there. Sunday morning is a sure time where the presence of God will be here. You can count on it. His grace is going to be being made available. When we partake of communion, when you hear the word proclaimed, these are graces that are extended to us. If you try to do it all by yourself, it won't be there. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't still work outside of these means. Of course he does. He works all around the world in all sorts of various ways. We're not in control of that. But these are promises of his. In other words, I will meet you there. So shouldn't we be using them? And can I just add one more thing, tack one more thing onto that? You can't do that at home. You can't do this at home. There's no clergy at home. Even if you're piping us in, unfortunately, you can't do this at home. You can't fill it. You can't eat it. You can't drink it. Now, there's a place for that. But what I'm saying is you also can't love one another at home. You can't embrace one another and speak words of life and love and peace to one another by yourself. It doesn't happen. Now, you don't need to say amen. You don't have to because it's the truth. And we've got to get beyond. If we're going to risk our lives to go to eat and go to a football game or a baseball game, shouldn't we risk our lives for Christ? The scripture says this, if you're ashamed of me, then when I come again, I'll be ashamed of you. I'd be a sorry preacher, as my dad says, if I didn't tell you that. Because one day, I'm not standing before you. I'm standing before Jesus Christ himself. And if he says, son, why did you tickle their ears while they went to hell? I won't have an answer. I'm not going to do it, friend. And you are my friends. Even you online, you're my friends. That's why I would say that, you know. A real friend does that. <laughs> I had a real friend, I went to a, a meeting this, this uh, week in Kentucky and, and my shirt was messed up, but I didn't know it. And I was with this one dude who I thought was my friend. <laughs> I'll have to tell him later, I'm not going to call his name. But he didn't tell me and it was facing him. And the, another dude that was my friend also from seminary, he's like, hey man, your shirt's all messed up, bro. Let me fix that. I was like... Well, I'm glad I have a friend, right? Friends don't let friends just continue walking in sin and disobedience. They don't. I hope you don't for your children's sake. All right, well, 
Let's look briefly at what 9 here says about Jesus' mediatorial work. So he's the one mediator who has accomplished salvation for us. And here's the way the writer hangs it. Is he says, he is now to appear, so present, all right? And then he has appeared, past tense, and he will appear. So notice this real quick. Um, a typical priestly duty for, for a high priest to do is they make atonement. They make intercession, and, and Bruce talked briefly about atonement, at one minute. It's reconciling the division between God and man. Now, why would Jesus be the one mediator between God and man? Or let's do it like this. God and man, right? Is because he is at both and the same time, God, in one person, God and man. That's why. So he's uniquely prepared as the God-man. Theanthropos, for those nerds of you uh, who are out there that want to think about theology, right? Theanthropic. Theos, anthropology, right? God, man. He's both in one person, unified. And he came so that he could reconcile God to man because guess what? He's both. And so now in the very heart of God is a man. (laughs) And at the heart of man is God. You see how this works? It's kind of neat and simple and awesome, and it's good news for all of us. He makes atonement, right? So he fulfilled that check. That's one priestly duty. Now here's the next, intercession. Intercession. And so what we're told is that Jesus continually makes intercession for us, right? This is why at the church we have an intercession team. It's because we believe that the ministry of Jesus is intercession... And if he is priest and intercedes for us and then looks at us and says, now you are priest, then what do we do? We intercede. What is interceding? Standing in prayer for another. It's saying, I know somebody needs help. I know they're struggling. And I'm going to spend my life, my time, your time is life, in prayer for them. Because prayer is not just a work. It is the greatest work that we can do. And look, I'm even at fault sometimes. I was like, oh, sorry, man. All I can do is pray. All you can do is pray. No, no, no. That's the greatest work we can do. All right? Now, of course, we need to be obedient in prayer because typically when I start praying for people, then all of a sudden God's like, well, call them. Text them. Go see them. We don't want to be disobedient to that, right? But prayer, we need to pray for one another. We need to think about one another. We need to give our lives for one another in prayer, in intercession. All right. He does that. He does that. He's doing it right now, in fact. I mean, it's maybe hard for you to believe, maybe hard for me to believe, but Jesus is actually praying for Marshall Dagg as he preaches right now. Now, there's a bunch of preachers that are doing a way better job than I am today that he's also praying for. He's also praying for you in the seat by name because he knows you by name. He loves you. He's written everything there is going to be written about you. He has thoughts for you that outnumber the sand on the sea. Sure. (laughs) He loves us. He thinks about us. And then the other thing that a priest would do is benediction, right? Just like we do here. Uh, We we come in, we we speak the word of, of the good news, and then we send you out in benediction. That is to say, blessing. And we're blessed to be a blessing, always. Abraham was, and he's the father of our faith. 
Jesus blesses us so that we can be a blessing, not to keep it. Did you notice the, uh, did you notice the uh, Old Testament and the Gospel reading today? Man, I could preach on both of those, actually. Right? Did you, you remember the King's reading? Uh, here's, a, here's a widow, right? Lowest in, in society at the time, other than children. Children and widows were, which is why orphans and widows, true religion. Ooh, man, that was good right there. That's what the Bible says. Spirit just gave me that. Reminded me of that, I should say. It's already in the scripture. But no, so a widow, and she has her son, okay? Two of the lowest in society at the time. And she's not even an Israelite. Remember? This is not, a, this is not one of the elect of God. And, and, and there's a drought. And so, or famine, sorry. And, um, and so Elisha goes to this widow. She's like, well, look, I only have like a little bit of stuff. I'm literally baking the last cake we've got. I'm going to feed it to my kid. She's going to wait around to die. He's like, okay, cool. Let me have the first cake. Now, what is he asking for? She knows he's a prophet, all right? This is a matter of faith, isn't it? Oh, I got to give my all in order to get something to sustain my life? Yeah, because the scripture says if you try to hold on to your life, what happens? You'll lose it. You'll lose it. No. We have to give all. Not just a little bit. Which brings us to the gospel reading, right? That lady did not just tip God. Oh, thanks for all these blessings, God. I'm going to give you a little tip of that. No. She gave it all, didn't she? It only equaled a penny. But Jesus sits up. By the way, has it ever struck you that he was watching people give? You know, it's one thing if I watched you give. I, I don't do that. I typically keep my eyes to myself, you know. And I don't just sit there and look at who gives what. But there is one who does. And he knows what he's given to you. And he knows what you give back. He knows if you're being stingy and acting generous or giving out of your super abundance. He knows. And he's the only one that kind of matters, isn't it? Indeed. No, the point is, if we're going to be a blessed people, we have to give our life away. I have to give my life away. Which means I open my home up when I don't maybe feel like it, right? And you know, sometimes we get tired on this journey of life. And just as a little bit of confession, like, I, you know, I don't always like people at my house, you know? I like to do like everybody else and shut the blinds and just do my thing, whether it's watching a show or chilling out. What? But, but friends, it's high time, if you haven't noticed, to reach out to people in love. The shadow of darkness seems strong, but we have the light of Christ. But not if we hide it under a bushel. That is to say, not if we close our door. No, we need to have an open door because our food is not our own. My table at my house is not my own. My truck, it's not my own. That's a hard, hard, probably long lesson that God has been teaching me in my life. 
Because I would gladly be by myself. Jessica knows this. Gladly be by myself. But he doesn't call us to that, does he? That's why he's giving me Bruce. That's why he's giving me Jessica. That's why he's giving me family members that check on me. And it humbles me that they would take the time to care about my stinking life. But they do. We should bear one another's burdens. It's a priestly thing to do. Well, it goes without saying that sacrifice is the most religious thing across the board and the most common thing in all religion. And Christ is our sacrifice. But notice here in the present tense, he's now to appear. In other words, you remember what, what would happen, right? The, pre, the high priest would come in there and, and you, you know, only priests could come into the holy place, right? You had the common area outside and uh, outside of that was Gentiles. So if you were one of the elect, the Jews, you could stay in the common place here. Well, then only Levitical priests could go into uh, the holy place, right? But then the holy of holies, only the high priest. So it's a very small, and there's only one high priest at a time, right? And, and what he would do is, I mean, just this is the short, super shortened version, is kill... A, um, a lamb or a ram, sheep, he actually killed all those because remember he threw one over here and put one over there and one you didn't eat, the other you did eat. But then he takes the blood in the Holy of Holies and he gets before the altar, which is still what we call this. And then he would sling it on the mercy seat. And remember, there were two cherubim that were here, which... Brings you back to Genesis, right? Remember what the cherubim did? They guarded the way into Eden. In other words, mm-mm. because of sin, you don't get to come into Eden. Eden was a place of peace, right? We even talk about Edenic, right? It's a place of peace. No, you don't get to go in there. This, this is it. This is the last stop right here. Holy of Holies, this is the last stop. You don't get past these cherubim. And the only reason you even get to stand in here is because you're slinging blood all over the mercy seat, which is the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And they would tie him up before he went in with bells. Because if he stopped moving and you didn't hear the bells going, you need to drag him out. He's He's dead. He's died because God killed him, which had happened before. Well, sacrifice... Why sacrifice? What's the big deal about sacrifice? Why do we need to... Well, I wrote down a couple of things just from my head that help. The gods have to eat, right? Well, Yahweh is not interested in eating. That's not what he's doing. But sacrifice costs us something. That's what we're doing. Why do we gather here like we do? Why do we give? Why do we serve? It's because it's sacrifice. Now, we sacrifice for a lot of things in our life, don't we? I mean, it's a sacrifice to binge a show. It is. It takes your time up, you know. You got to stay with it. Get it going. To go on a trip, take sacrifice. To do all that we do takes a bit of sacrifice. And we're called to sacrifice for, well, here's the other thing. It costs to receive mercy. It's not just, just like freedom. Freedom isn't free. Somebody had to pay for it. It's freely given. Grace is. 
but it cost Christ his life. We don't, we don't forget that. Blood. That's why all over Hebrews, all over Leviticus is blood. Because the life is in the blood and he gave his life for us. And one has to pay for sin. Somebody does. Justice. God will get his justice. Well, look, because of Jesus, his now appearing, the writer of Hebrews says here, his now, his ministry right now as we speak is one of atonement, one of blessing for us. All right, but it doesn't end there. He also goes on further and says, look, he has appeared, and that is once for all, to end the ages. In other words, when Christ appeared in his first advent, that was the end of one age. And it was the turning the page of another. He says, look, at the end of all things here, notice what, how he says it. Uh, and, and, and just as it is appointed for man once to die, oh, I need to back up. For then, this is verse 26, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Do you know that God doesn't want to just forgive us of sin and let it continue to run rampant? If sin is running rampant in your life, that's not God's design for you. He has victory over sin to do away with it. Why did he come? He came to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This cleansing is a priestly duty of his. And so he, is, he has appeared to remove sin and to destroy sin, not just death. Death is one enemy of ours, but, sin, but death doesn't send us to hell. No. But sin will. If we hang on to that, we cannot be with God. That's the point. Well, he also has appeared as the sacrificial lamb. In other words, all those lambs, millions of them, over the course of the Old Testament sacrificial system, died as an object lesson of what was to come. It was a copy. And thanks be to God, like... As clergy today, I don't have to have a butcher's you know, apron on. And my main job be pulling the guts out of lambs and rams and pigeons and all these sorts of things as people bring them. I mean, it's believed that when Jesus um, crossed over into, uh, to head to Jerusalem, that the blood that was coming down would have been about waist deep in the ditch that he would have had to have crossed. That's a lot of blood. Here on the Day of Atonement. And now he will appear. He says, So Christ, I'm going to offer once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, second advent, to deal with sin, not to deal with sin, he's done that, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. I wonder if you're eagerly waiting for Christ. If this, if this pandemic has, uh, has not put you in a state of mind where you are ready to see Jesus, where you're ready for him to bust open the eastern sky right over there, rend the heavens and come down and end this whole thing and make everything that was wrong right, 
I don't know, boy, you, you might be dead. Dead spiritually. I hope there's a longing in your heart for the kingdom of God, for the people of God to raise up and bear the light of Christ to the world. He's building his kingdom here, which is why he doesn't just say, oh yeah, look at me, I'm the great high priest. He does say that, look to me. But then he says this when you look at him. All right, now go, you're priests and kings. Isn't this what Exodus said? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what we're called to. We're to be a, like Melchizedek, right? King priest. You are each and every single one of us. When we look to Jesus, he's going to send us into this world because he's saving this world, brothers and sisters. We're not just sitting here waiting to go to another world. He's going to save this one and transform this one. This is where he planted his kingdom, right here. Is this what we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh yeah, he's established it right here, which means we participate with our body. We participate with our heart, all of it. And so he sits in session. That's what we call it in theology, session. Just like a judge is in session, he sits in session. He is seated at the Father's right hand, and one day, one day, he's going to get up and carry all the saints that are with him, such as my Mimo, who we just said goodbye to last weekend, and he's going to bring them all back here, and then he's going to call all of us home. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, he takes me by the hand. Leads me through the promised land. What a day. What a day that'll be. Oh, friend, if that's not a good day for you, then you need to repent and believe. And if there's sin that is reigning in your heart, in your life, then you need to repent and believe. If you're tired and weary and don't think you can go on, you need to repent and believe. It's through repenting, turning, and turning to Jesus Christ and then believing on our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. And so, as the writer of Hebrews would have us, do not turn back. We're not going back. We're going forward. At Harvest Point, we're moving forward. Yes, we grieve the past. I know I have. We grieved how things were. It's not how things are going to be. We're moving on. The journey is continuing. Christ is still reigning. Not like we always want, but as he wants because he's king and not me. So here's the good news. Jesus is our captain. He is our pioneer. And we're on the winning side. We have nothing to fear for he has overcome the world. And he has us in his hands. And he invites us to his table to eat and drink with joy to eat and drink, with thankfulness to eat and drink. And then he wants to turn us around to see the world as he sees it and say, all right, go be priests of all nations, making disciples of all nations. So fix your eyes 
on Jesus today. Look to him. He is our only hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.